Hi there, and welcome to Putting the Squid to Bed, a podcast about creative people and their craft. My name is Tim Lenko. I'm a writer and performer, and on this podcast, I interview creative people about why they create things and how they go about it. The show is named after an image that I have found so helpful. If you're anything like me, you know those moments when you've nearly finished a project, but then you find another touch you could add, another loose end to tie off, or another rough patch that needs ironing out. It's like trying to tuck a squid into bed. Just when you get two or three arms under the covers, another four or five have popped back out. Projects are rarely finished so much as they are surrendered. And that journey of discovery, creation, and surrender is what I ask my guests Mm -hmm. about. Hello and welcome to episode nine of Putting the Squid to Bed. In case we haven't met, hi, my name is Tim. Today, oh, wow, I'm second guessing this way too much. Today I'm talking with a friend. He's a singer, songwriter, producer, and session musician, among many other things. And someone I've loved making music with. He put out his album Trees in 2019 produced half a dozen albums for other artists, engineered a bunch more, and played on more than I can count, including for Kyle Church, John Bryant, and Sycamore. His sound is indie folk pop, and and he loves creating looping covers of pop songs. Please, welcome into your ears, Matt Fraze. Hey, Tim. How's it going? It's going really well. How are you doing? I'm doing well, too. Got a nice coffee. I'm settled. It's good. Yeah. We, um... This is usually the por- point in the episode where I ask, where are you calling in from? But you're in my living room. Yeah. <laughs> which I am really enjoying. Yeah, you, you brought in uh, brought me in from the, the distant depths of five minutes away. Yeah, five minutes away. And yeah. then we walked down uh, to the corner mm-hmm. uh, coffee shop that we love, and uh, we have caffeine to, to fuel our conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, is good, which is good. <laughs> it is. And then I've got to tell you... Among all of Matt's many skills and talents, he's a, a really good producer and engineer. And so he helped me set up uh, th- this whole setup. I was having a lot of trouble getting the mics to cooperate with the software. And he magically fixed it all. It, it was it was a five-minute fix, which is good. Those are the best kinds. We love those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Matt. I'm excited to talk to you about your music. I'm sure some of your other stuff is going to come up. Mm-hmm. But um, broadly, what kind of a, an artistic season are you in right now? Uh, right now, I'm in a season of trying to do artistic musical things more. Um, I guess I'm in a season where I've spent a lot more time kind of uh, working in live sound and spending all of my time in that world, thinking about that, learning about that. And I haven't really mm-hmm. spent as much time doing musical things on my own time for my own enjoyment. Hmm. So we're kind of, kind of in a season of trying to bring some of that back. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. really different from past seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like when I was in school, there were musicians around me all the time. And so I'd, you know, play on their things they'd play on mine. And it was just like a really easy, uh, kind of set up for for creativity because there are always people around being creative so it's mm-hmm. easy to be creative when the people around you are all creative yeah no kidding uh yeah live sound is different that way I, I mean everyone else is being creative around you but you're kind of um i guess yeah i've been the one who makes it possible for their things to happen yeah 
but I haven't really been a part of the creative process in the same way. Yeah, totally. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You're a supportive presence. Exactly. You're enabling what they can do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like creative adjacent. Yeah. 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 No kidding. So, um, you mentioned the absence of all those other creative people that you can collaborate Mm -hmm. with. That was like easy access. Um, what are, what are some of the other barriers that you're experiencing that, that Hmm. make this a tougher time for artistic generation? I, that's probably the the big one is just like having that like community of, uh, musicians that are creating things with people and, uh, easily bring people in. Um, but, but also just like inconsistency of schedule is probably a big one. You know, I'll, I'll be out late on Fridays and then I'll be, you know, up early on Monday doing stuff and like, like my sleep schedule is not the same even. So just like, there's not really a daily routine in place that I can say is my, my usual routine for creating. So there's no, yeah, there's a lack of structure. Yeah. And you find structure, routine, rhythm helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I do. That was again, one of the things that was good about school. Yeah. Not that this was any time recent, but you know, when you're, when you're in college or, uh, like you're with the same people every day, you're in the same places every day. Like there's a routine of seeing people and doing things that I think makes it easier to know when your creative time is. Mm-hmm. And that, that rhythm kind of does help me anyways. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do want to loop back to, um, what those rhythms, what, what your favorite rhythms look like, mm-hmm. what your favorite patterns, the most uh, that are Ooh. most supportive to you. But before that, I want to go back earlier Okay. In the Matt Fraze story, what's some of the first music that you heard or musical experiences that you had <laughs> that convinced you, yeah, this is for me? Uh, I don't know if I ever had a singular experience. Um, I grew up, so my, my mom's a pianist. Yeah. Uh, she's really talented. She's got her uh, bachelor's in, I think... Well, bachelor's in, in piano, but I'm not exactly sure what focus. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I think in teaching. Mm. Uh, so, so I was always exposed to her playing as a kid, and she put us in like music lessons from a young age. Mm-hmm. So I did something called ORF as a kid. What is that? Uh, it's um, like kind of group music lessons for uh, very small kids. So I was probably like six or seven when okay. this was happening, maybe younger. Uh, basically bunch of small children in a room with glockenspiels and recorders and percussion, a bit of dancing and singing, you know, yeah. Typical small children, music teaching stuff. Yeah. Um, did piano lessons, played a lot in church, which probably shaped me uh, more than anything else. In a lot of ways, I was fortunate to be in a church that was really supportive and with musicians that were quite a bit better than me and farther Mm. advanced. And they were willing to put in the time to help me be better yeah. Even though I was terrible when they brought me in, so yeah, it's like so I, wild to think, yeah, of you being terrible at any point, <laughs> <laughs> because you're 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 among Thanks. the best musicians I I've played with in my life, and so to think of you being <laughs> awful, like, <laughs> uh, so I was I was the drummer at church, yeah, uh, when I was ten, so. I wasn't very big. I, I wasn't very good. I hadn't been playing yeah. for very long and I didn't have an internal metronome really worked out. So yeah. there was a lot of speeding up and slowing down. Yeah. 
and not being with the band. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone's been there at some point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I feel like that's a pretty gutsy move from the music director to be like, okay with that. Yeah, totally. Uh, so thinking about those um, older, more developed musicians that you mm-hmm. got to play with, um, what were some of the things that they did with you or some of the attitudes that they seemed to have um, or ways that they brought you along with them that was really helpful and supportive? I, I think honestly, just making space for me to be there uh, every week. Yeah. Even when I wasn't necessarily contributing positively all the time, uh, like uh, as far as quality of musicianship goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just like that consistency and that time investment. Yeah. Um, there was a bass player there in particular, his name was Vlad, who was just like a really good player. He'd been playing since, since the seventies. He grew up, I think he played in R and B and blues bands, Ooh, fun. which is, yeah. So like having that, that skill set, but also he was just really encouraging. And mm-hmm. like, as we all got better around him too, like he was really excited for us all to be, yeah. like, like he was just excited when we got good. That's cool. Um, and was quick to point out, uh, little victories cool. like, Hey man, like that thing that you just did sounded great. Like he was really quick mm-hmm. to do that. That made a huge difference. Yeah. There were other like musicians that did the same thing, but Vlad stands out. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. That's cool. So there was consistent space made for you to be there and to play alongside them. And yeah. then there was encouragement specifically. Totally. Was there, um, some instruction and pushing or like, like putting their finger on, Hey, here's where you're like, this, this is a fly in the ointment. This is something, Mm. or did they really just kind of sit back and let you grow? It was a lot of sitting back. Okay. Um, yeah. So like that church environment anyways, it was a lot of like, I mean, they probably like asked me to play a slightly different part in different places. Like, could you play like a less busy thing here? Or like these chords uh, with like a slightly different voicing, like small mm-hmm. kind of things rather mm-hmm. than like big things. Mm-hmm. I think we've probably talked about, you know, push pull of, uh, you know, rushing and slowing down occasionally. Yeah. yeah. But, but also I had like private lessons on the side. Yeah. So I, I took drum lessons at the same time. Uh, I got a lot of that from drum lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's good to have someone sit you down and force you to play with a metronome every week. No kidding. So. Yeah, as painful as it is. As painful as it is. (laughs) That's good. Well, bless those people. Yeah. Um, How about engineering and producing? What was your entry Mm. into into that side of music? Uh, Great questions. In high school, um, I went to an arts high school. It's called ESA. It's in, in Toronto. And there was just like a really solid, again, there was a community of people doing music there. And there, I think I played in all of, all of the bands that I could. So it was probably like mm-hmm. four or five bands. Mm-hmm. But one of the, uh, one of the like kind of friends that I'd played shows with, but not in the same bands was starting to get into recording his stuff. And, uh, I asked to borrow his four track tape recorder. <laughs> and that was, I think the first, the first intro to recording that I had. Fine. So yeah, this was, technology was different <laughs> in the early aughts. Yeah, so I spent some time fooling around with that four-track tape recorder. I don't think anything sounded good or, or anything. Yeah. I didn't have any real equipment. Yeah. So that, that was probably my first entry point. Cool. And I, I kind of, I think I bought something similar, just like a digital, like eight-track standalone recorder mm-hmm. at some point a few years after that and got pretty invested in that and eventually went to recording school at Metalworks for a year. 
back in 2006 and uh, kind of kept recording friends after that. Never really did it professionally. Mm. I, I guess I've done, again, it, it's kind of shaped what I do in live sound a lot. Uh, and it's shaped the way that I hear music and contribute to bands now. But I, I yeah. never really did it for, for a whole lot of money. Okay, yeah. Unfortunately. Because I really like it. And if we could get you hooked into where your skill set would get you a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we all want. But, I mean, everyone's got recording software at their fingertips these days. Yeah. So it's, uh, I feel like it's a a limited, uh, it's one of those things that not so many people can really get into and and make, you're not going to get rich off of it. Right. Unless you're like in the upper echelons. Yeah. Same as with most music these days. If you're yeah. Taylor Swift, you're doing okay. Um, if you're Taylor yeah. Swift, you're actually stimulating a, a national economy. <laughs> like, yeah. The, the scale is so, is so different. It's, it's very different. But like I've, I've got yeah. friends who make a living doing music. Yeah. But they're not, they're not rich. No. They're just still doing it, which yeah. is awesome. At like an indie level. Totally. Yeah. Yeah good for them. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're not in it for the money. That's, that's not where you're, um, going to be. You would love to have money, but that's not the main mo- motivation in all mm-hmm. of it. I'm interested in backing up, looking at the whole thing, the whole yeah. experience of being artistic, of, of generating beautiful, good, interesting things. What do you love about living a creative artistic life? Ooh, that's a big question. Uh, I love that there aren't a whole lot of limits. Um, I I feel like I'm pretty free to just pursue the thing that I'm interested in now, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever that thing might be. Um, what's the spectrum? What's the range? The range is pretty big. Uh, so over COVID I got a little bit more into woodworking. Yeah. So I've you know, at various points been more interested in that. So I'll spend a month out in the shop and then I'll forget about it for six months. Yeah. Get excited about knitting toques. Yeah. Or get excited about, uh, editing vocals or, or just like really laying down some tight drums. Like the, the range is, there's a range even actually more specifically on the music side. Um, yeah. So I, I started out on on drums, like after, you know, piano lessons, which were, I was mediocre at, Mm. but yeah, I started off on drums, got really excited about that, got decently good at that. Um, and then got excited about guitar at the same time. Mm. So I went off and probably played more guitar than drums for a while, even while I was taking drum lessons. And then, you know, uh, was also doing clarinet in high school. That was my main thing, apparently. Um, probably could have fooled my teachers. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot more time with guitar and drums, but yeah, still doing clarinet. And I think for a year in, in grade 12, I took upright bass lessons. Yeah. So cool. Um, which was a friend's project, which is pretty cool. Um, and I got free lessons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then at some point I got bored again and I found a banjo in my mom's bedroom mm-hmm. and I have been playing the banjo for 15 years now. Yeah. You know, it'll it'll all go through phases. So one month I'll be more excited about the drums, the next month I'll be more excited about the banjo or or the guitar, and that's that's probably something that other multi instrumentalists can relate to a little bit. Yeah, you just like a certain sound gets in your head for a little while, and uh, you spend some time 
until you're bored with that sound and then you get excited about another thing. And the, the thing that's cool about that is you're always doing music, but there's always something different about it and it, it changes just enough to keep you like keep pulling you back. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, thinking about the seasons where you've done, you know, you've taken all of that, that, that wide palette of, of music, the different sounds you've got mm-hmm. available and, um, uh, how it relates to songwriting, like with the, yeah. the album trees that you made and you've, you've done more songwriting since then and yeah. put only some of it out. Uh, talk to me about your songwriting and how that all fits together too. Uh, I mean, again, like anytime you learn something new on an instrument, uh, I feel like that's a chance to kind of play around with it and, and get excited about it. And a lot, a lot of songs honestly just come through being interested about a new sound. Yeah. Um, so on the album trees, uh, I, I'm one of those people who forgets their own song names. (laughs) (laughs) I I heard a whole (laughs) podcast episode, um, by Malcolm Gladwell about, um, Elvis Presley forgetting the words to one of his songs incessantly in every performance he did. <laughs> and then Kelly Clarkson talking about it in uh, the, the stuff that you make. Oh yeah. Some of the easiest stuff to forget. It's hilarious somehow. for some reason. Yeah. So, uh, the song, uh, on my own was, mm. I mean, that was, that was actually a project for, for school, for English class. But the thing that was exciting about that was I just found a little drum machine on my phone and I was playing around with that and I found some cool sounds and like, it was just something that was new to me that, uh, got exciting and interesting and turned into a song. Yeah. Like it, yeah, I was just playing around with something that I thought was cool at the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's often sounds first. Mm, for yeah. You. Yeah. Sounds are new techniques first. Yeah. Cool. And like when I was learning claw hammer banjo, yeah. I was writing some, you know, Clawhammer inspired songs. Not that they were particularly proficient on the Clawhammer yeah. side, but <laughs> it's it's a thing that you know. Suddenly, you're writing banjo songs. Uh-huh. Um, then yeah. you uh, get a new guitar pedal, and now you're suddenly writing stuff with a lot of delay on it. Yeah, exploring uh, exactly. Yeah, a lot of explore exploration. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, you know, sound led as your music is, it's not instrumental. Like mm-hmm. it's it's singer songwriter. So. How yeah. does the the content of lyrics then come in? What's that process and that relationship? That's that's an interesting one. So I've gotten out of the habit a little bit, but I used to do a lot of journaling, yeah. and that was always a good thing for for that. Um, Mostly like a stream of consciousness dump. Yeah, I'll start yeah. there, and yeah. then um, eventually, like some line will stand out, yeah. and I'll. Um, yeah, back to on my own. So that one was interesting. Uh, again, it was for a class, so it mm. had to. I think I had to tie together like three different books mm-hmm. with a project of some sort, and I decided to write a song because that's what I do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I was just sitting in this music for you know a few hours a day because I was enjoying it mm-hmm. and thinking about what lyrics might fit at the same time. I think I. S- I think I had the, like, I'm still on my own mm-hmm. in the chorus, just kind of from the beginning and then figured out the other lyrics like through trial and error a little mm-hmm. bit as we went. So mm-hmm. it's one part, like kind of looking at journals and finding interesting stuff in the moment. 
And then like, honestly, there's a lot of work uh, that goes into making the words fit and make sense afterwards. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm really good at choruses. Verses take way more time for me. Yeah. So the, what yeah. about verses stymie you? Uh, they feel like they have to be about something. Oh, <laughs> like the chorus can be, you know, a line or two and, uh, it can be pretty simple. Yeah. And the verses feel like they need to say something profound or interesting. And mm. I have a limited amount of profound mm. and interesting things most of the time. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I feel about it anyways. Does that feeling come from like the songs that you've admired most and liked most? Or does it just f- feel like mm. there is this unspoken pressure or where does that come from? Uh, like in my, in my mind, like a verse kind of. Like it's supposed to be a fleshing out of what the chorus is about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a chance to give new information and uh, like tell a story a little yeah. bit. And I'm not a natural storyteller. Okay. So I think that's probably where that comes from. It just takes more time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just, I mean, it's not the nineties anymore. <laughs> I, I can't just uh, write a bunch of gibberish and have it, feel right to me. Okay. I don't know that I ever really could get away with that, but I'm not Kurt Cobain. <laughs> okay. Fair <So>. enough. <laughs> Nobody is Kurt Cobain. <laughs> no, no, that was a unique time in history. Absolutely. <laughs> so have you done any songwriting with songwriters or lyricists that had different skill sets with you that were like an experience that worked well? Uh, my ideal songwriting scenario is where I'm really just an editor of lyrics okay, and I, I yeah. don't really produce them out of thin air so much. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm good at kind of taking a phrase and making it fit the constraints of the melody. Yeah. Um, I very much do like the melody does kind of come first for me yeah. and then my, my brain will cycle through it and make mistakes with what the words I had written were. Yeah. And suddenly they're new words and yeah. sometimes that's better. And they fit. Yeah. They fit better. Yeah. Or, you know, they scan nicely. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's like the backwards, um, or it's like flipping around the, the mumble track, the mumble, um, yeah. approach to like start with something, m- m- mumble over it. It's so that transforms to something. Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. So it's just backwards. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I start with melody and then I, I'm really good at playing with words to make them work and make sense, but it helps to already have someone like having written some words down. Yeah. That makes sense. Like in high school, I had a friend who wrote a lot of songs. Um, I mean, as with everything in high school, varying levels of quality and that's okay. Yeah. But I loved writing music and, and having someone there who just always had this flow of words coming through. Mm-hmm. who could like help give shape to mm-hmm. those songs and like just having a sounding board that way is really yeah. nice. But then also like, like I could uh, go through and there was a trust level built up and uh, make suggestions to the words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes they would be better and sometimes they wouldn't be, but being able to suggest things, yeah. I think like that, that's a really fun spot for me to be in personally. That's cool. Yeah. I like the editing process better than the writing process. Yeah. That's, that's the, the short version. Yeah. That makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. All of that, everything you've described makes mm-hmm. me think of songwriting camps, like a collective mm-hmm. of people who can work together on stuff. The idea of, um, putting together people with different skill sets. Um, yeah. A- have you ever been a part of a songwriting camp? Uh, kind of Kay. not, it wasn't, uh, hmm. 
So I used to work at a summer camp in the Muskokas. Yeah. And my job was to teach uh, children how to record music. Mm-hmm. And the way that this was focused throughout the week was we'd put kids into groups of two to four. Yeah. And they would write a song together on the first couple of days mm-hmm. and record it throughout the week. And by Friday, they would have a fully recorded song to take home. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't so much writing my songs, yeah. but I got to kind of play producer to all of their songs. Yeah. Facilitating their growth. And exactly. Creation. Yeah. Cool. So if they were stuck on lyrics, then I'd make suggestions on like where they could go and kind of push them into different ways of thinking or like different rhymes, like any, you know, it's problem solving. It's all troubleshooting that. And also could suggest different instrumental approaches. And that, that part was like, honestly, that was a real sweet spot for me in a lot of ways. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's being able to, um, take that material that someone pulls out of thin air or pulls out of their heart and then help take it from the 85% all the way to like hundred percent to the finish line. Yeah. It's a little ironic that I feel like I'm really good at doing that for other people's songs, but not, <laughs> not very good at doing that for my own. Well, there's so much about yeah. perspective, right? Like mm-hmm. having a little bit of distance helps see it more clearly. Mm-hmm. Actually hugely. You're yeah. right. So would you say that you lean more heavily towards uh, thriving as a producer than an artist yourself? Uh, probably. Okay. Um, yeah, the, I I was thinking about it a bit this morning. Uh, if I had a friend who was just constantly writing songs and wanted edits and improvements to those songs, I would love to just be the person there. Just, uh, kind of like, I feel I'm, I'm really comfortable as a side man. Yeah. Just kind of making suggestions, kind of making it work. Uh, I I love that kind of side of things. Yeah. Yeah. The production side of it maybe comes first and the songwriting is really just a reason to do more producing. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. The thing that I love about that is that it's uh, such an ego in the backseat um, attitude. It's, it's all about, okay, who am I actually? And where do I fit? Yeah. Best rather than how can I make sure people see that I'm good at what I do? <laughs> well, thanks Tim. Yeah. I, I, there's a lot of days where I don't feel like I've got all the skills and I'm sure everyone's been there at some point. Um, but yeah, it's nice being able to be the one who can encourage someone else to, to put their work out and to like, I don't know, I've, I've always loved instrumentation and, uh, kind of shaping things that way. So it's, it's really exciting for me to build a track from, you know, an acoustic guitar and a vocal or, or whatever it might be and just make it into something a little bit more full. Yeah. That's cool. I love that. And even with all of that, mm-hmm. um, interest in producing and, and, and finding that being, um, maybe the, the most resonant fit you you still like being an artist yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It's, it's quite fulfilling and fun. Yeah. I don't always know what to do with the attention when there's a, a room full of people listening to uh, me play. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely a, a part of the process where some imposter syndrome can uh, can uh, fit in. But that's probably just because I don't do it very regularly anymore. So that yeah. changes things. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's yeah, it's less about um, experience or not because I like like I've played a lot of shows yeah. yes. um, like as a solo artist yeah. and uh, also 
with other people. Yeah. So like I'm pretty comfortable on stage in that way. I'm, Absolutely. I'm more comfortable when I'm the secondary attention yeah. than the primary attention. Yeah. 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 But I've also found, um, so I went on tour with Kyle Church uh, a few years ago now, probably, I think it was 2019. So right after I put my album out and right after he'd put an album out that I played a lot of guitar on. Um, so I opened for him and then I backed him up during his set and that act of playing like every night or every two nights really did bring out, like I was a lot more comfortable on stage by the end of the tour than I was yeah. at the beginning of the tour. It's, uh, I think it's less about experience and more about consistent feedback. Mm. So you get that audience feedback every night and mm-hmm. suddenly you're more comfortable with the songs you're doing. You kind of mm-hmm. get a sense of what's worked and mm-hmm. what hasn't worked. And every night you're playing the same songs mm-hmm. and knowing that, you know, last night, uh, this song worked really well. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have a little bit more faith that it'll work really well tonight as well. Yeah. So it's yeah, less about the experience and more about the time in between. Yeah. Like there's having less time in between shows really helped. Yeah. That's fantastic. Mm. Huh. I love it. Well, um, I can't wait to hear you play again. It'll, it'll happen. Absolutely. One, one of these days. Yeah. Um, thinking about, um, I do want to circle back to the rhythms and routines that, um, Mm -hmm. help artistically generating, um, work better for you. If you were able to design your, your perfect artistic scenario, what would your life look like? What practices would, would be enabling your, your creation? And maybe like Mm. what, what of them are even in play right now? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I feel like an ideal scenario would um, pr- probably be like waking up, having having breakfast with you know some coffee and some some good people around. Um, you know, whether it's my wife or a group of people or whatever, that's always a good thing, a good start to the day. Um, and I guess the other then after that, like just having like something just happens with other people involved naturally without my really having to organize anything, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. The organizing of the people is the hard part. Yeah. So one of the parts that I loved about summer camp was that there are people that were relying on me to show up at a certain time. Yeah. So I'd go down, I'd have breakfast with a group of people. Yeah. And then suddenly, boom, creative time. You have three hours with these kids who need to learn guitar. Yeah. And there's no real getting around that. And mm-hmm. one of my other roles at camp was kind of putting together a cover band every week. Oh, cool. Which was, it was a really sweet little gig. Um, and the best part about that was if you wanted to go find a drummer, you, you know, figure out who you want to ask and then you just go find them. Yeah. Like at lunchtime, like everyone's in the same room. Yeah. You go and you just talk to the person. Yeah. So kind of removing that barrier of calling or Facebooking or, or messaging, yeah. however that yeah. happens. Yeah. Would be really big for me. Yeah. Um, just having, having musicians in a little space where like, yeah, the musicians are over there. I'm going to go find them and talk to them about this idea that I have. Yeah. Or being in a place where they could come and talk to me about an idea that they have Mm -hmm. would be helpful, but I don't know how realistic that is in my current setting. Mm -hmm. If that, yeah, that was just a thing that has worked really well for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's part, probably part of what worked well about college as well. If you wanted to go find the drummer, you know, you just check the drum practice room mm-hmm. or you know where they live. If it's a small yep. campus, everyone's kind of in the same places. 
Yeah. So yeah. it's very different when there is a closed or semi-closed environment where yeah. everybody is on a similar schedule, a similar structure. Um, when we're all out in the wild, <laughs> yep. it's a totally different thing. And you've got several different schedules and structures to actually try and align. Yeah. I don't know why this worked so well for me. Like, uh, like when I was living in Toronto too, like I, I feel like no one was particularly close, hmm. but I just had a lot of musician friends mm-hmm. and they'd just show up at my house. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what's changed about that, but, uh, musician friends, we show up when we have practice, but yeah. we don't, yeah, I don't just have so many people just show up at my house to do music things anymore. Yeah. That's the thing that's changed with adulthood and, uh, being a 30 something. Yeah. Life yeah. changes, you know. It does change. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I hope you're you're able to uh, create opportunities, find the people that um, do actually want to to be that in the capacity that's available currently. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, yeah. So, thinking about um, what's striking your curiosity and um, exciting you musically, mm-hmm. uh, materially, what whatever, what is getting you going? Like, is there a new technique? a new instrument, a new sound, a new concept that is drawing your attention the most currently? That's very interesting as well. Um, I feel like I've had a few things recently kind of phase in and out already. Yeah. Um, the most recent one is I, I bought some new gear and suddenly I have access to Pro Tools again after hey. a couple of years away. And uh, what do you know? When you spend 20 years with software, you get to know it really well. <laughs> yeah. So that's been honestly really nice just to be able to pick up some sessions that I had that were half finished yeah. and go back and be like, oh, this one just needs tambourine. Let's play some tambourine and mix it. And then boom, we have something that sounds pretty good. Cool. It's just, that's pretty fun. And a few months ago, my uh, parents brought a banjo out for me. It mm. was my great grandfather's banjo. Mm-hmm. So it's from uh, 1904. It's a white lady. Uh, if you're a banjo player, you know what they are. They're yeah. really nice. Uh, they had recently had it set up and uh, put some really nice new tuning pegs in it so it keeps its tune really nicely and sounds really good. So spent some more time playing the banjo lately than anything else as well. That's cool. It's, yeah. It's all little things like that. You know, you get a new instrument, suddenly you want to play that instrument a lot. You uh, yeah. get new software, you want to play with that software a lot and make it, make it do the things that you want it to do. Absolutely. Yeah. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, how are you finding that process? Um, is it actually generating some new ideas and are, are some things starting to take root? Uh, I feel like I kind of got partway through some ideas and I haven't really, nothing really has taken root yet. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a couple ideas about looping with a banjo that I would like yeah. to pursue, but I haven't quite figured out how to do them yet. So in the yeah. back of my mind, I have this idea. I mean, a banjo is basically a drum with strings. Yeah. So I would love to get a pickup for my banjo in an un, but it would have to be unobtrusive. I don't want to drill mm-hmm. any holes in this yeah. 120 year old instrument. No kidding. Um, yeah, so I'd love to like put a pickup on it, maybe figure out a way to attach some snare wires to it so it can be a snare drum and a kick drum. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I've, I've got all these ideas, but I haven't really yeah. had the time to make them. So I do have a second banjo that I'd probably experiment on first 
Yeah. Uh, it's not nearly as valuable. Yeah. Makes sense. So currently a lot of experimenting and exploring, um, yeah. and, and this stuff is kind of going on to a compost pile that will hopefully like <laughs> it generate something nourishing later. That's a great word. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty exactly. Yeah. A lot yeah. of ideas that hopefully will come together, uh, at some point. Um, I feel like a part of, this is going to be a tangent, but a part of music yeah. practicing that's often overlooked is the, the part where you, um, think about what you just did afterwards mm. and spend time away from your instrument, just mm-hmm. kind of taking that in and letting your brain kind of make it make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, example, when I was learning how to play claw hammer banjo, mm-hmm. Every week there was a banjo player at a bar nearby my house named Chris Cool. So I would go and I would just watch him intently for an hour and yeah. kind of try and do like the right hand movements with my hand under the table as well at the same uh-huh. time. Um, which is, I mean, that's, that's practicing. And then I'd take it back to my instrument and try it. But also like that time in between uh, when I'd sit down with my banjo and the next time I'd sit down with my banjo, I'd get better at it. Mm. For no reason, just like some osmosis happens behind the scenes in your brain. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that compost heap is always working, even when you don't think it is. Yeah. So sometimes if you're frustrated by a thing when you're practicing, you know, put your time in and then sleep on it. And the next day when you come back to it, you'll probably be a little better at it. Yeah. Just having like that time for it to process behind the scenes really helps. Yeah, that makes sense. I recently, and I'm going to butcher the summary of the science, but I recently (laughs) saw a video where someone was saying, uh, it it talked about a study where they had children practice a six to eight note melody on the piano. Mm -hmm. um, And they split them into two groups. There was one group that practiced the melody repeatedly with no breaks. So they would do it over and over and over and over. They just played over and over. And then the other group, they would play it through a time or two, and then they would take a 10 or 30 second break, and then they'd play it again, and then Mm -hmm. the break, and then again, and then the break. And they measured their brain activity on both groups, and they saw that um, the activity would get faster in the breaks uh, for the children who were... um, not going straight through with repetition, mm-hmm. repetition, repetition. Um, and, and they were supposing, and I can't remember how they concluded this, but the brain was repeating the sequence, the, the, the melody, um, twice as fast. And so twice as many times in the break. Yeah. And so being able to just audiate mentally, they were able to practice faster. And so, um, it was crucial to actually physically play the melody on the piano. Both groups had to do that, but that break time meant that their brain was freed up to do it faster. And then they came back to it. And, and the group that had the breaks did m- remember the, the melody better than the group without the breaks. That totally makes sense to me based on my experience. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. That's a cool study you found. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well like, yeah. Anytime I'm learning, uh, a new song on guitar, yeah, the, the melody is often the the harder part to learn in some ways, but mm-hmm. also it helps to kind of solidify what the chords are and where they mm-hmm. go because the melody and the shapes of the chords tend to absolutely they they mimic each other. Yeah, that's how music that's how harmony works. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, so I, I like to spend some time learning the melody, 
and then I'll, I'll play for a little bit. Then I'll go back and I'll listen a little bit and make sure that I've, you know, in fact, yeah, played it back similarly to the song. Uh, and yeah, often if I take a day in between, it's much better the second day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much better the second day. Mm-hmm. That melody has had some time to sink in. Yeah, I guess it's probably just playing over in my head over and over yeah. again in a way that it, I can't can't do as quickly uh, on my guitar or with my voice. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you're saying is rest in between practices is actually critical. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is maybe a bonus of getting excited about different instruments at different times too. Hmm. So I'll get excited about one thing and then I'll rest from the other thing. And when I come back to it, um, I've got a new understanding of it in that way. Yeah, totally. Well, I'm very excited to see what's going to grow up out of this compost pile that you're assembling. Well, thanks. Yeah. Hopefully good things. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> um, so thinking about that, um, in terms of making a thing and then getting to, you know, the quote unquote end of it, the completion of it. Yeah. What's your relationship with completing a thing, calling it finished, <laughs> surrendering it? How does well, that go for you? Not well. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm laughing because I, uh, so the album I put, put out in 2019. Yeah. Uh, Trees. Still doesn't feel finished. Uh, oh no, it, it's finished oh, now. I, but okay. it, uh, I started recording some of those songs like in 2010. Okay. So like nearly I had these things going, yeah, for nearly a decade. Um, and it was just like this kind of constant going back and being like, well, I like this about this song. I don't mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. Um, what can I change? What, what I think one of the songs I even, like I had it fully recorded in the key of D mm-hmm. and then I transposed it to E flat and recorded everything over again. Oh, wow. So like, it's one of those for me. Like I, I'm not very good at calling something done yeah. or good enough and finished. Yeah. So it's a lot of doing it, doing it again, going yeah. back, editing it, revisiting. Uh, yeah, it literally took, uh, yeah, like, yeah, nine, nine and a half years to mm. finally call something finished. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not, and I think the only reason I called it finished was because I gave myself a deadline. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, one of my friends was setting up a show and was like, hey, do you want to call it an album release show? And I was like, yep, I think a month is enough time to finalize <laughs> things. Let's do it. <laughs> Or two months or whatever it was. Yeah. So yeah, finally having the due date, the the, the hard deadline yeah. is kind of what did it. Yeah. And so in that then last amount of time, that last month, you mm-hmm. uh, had the pressure to pull it all together. Yeah. So did you find that it the pressure increased your ability to arrive at something you were quite happy with? Um, or was it a trickier, tougher thing to like, I don't feel 100% about this, but here it is anyway. Uh, it actually weirdly did make me feel better about the decisions I'd already made yeah. and made it easier to make, uh, solid decisions and choices. Um, I feel like when I have to make the choices faster, I don't have the time to dither and uh, go and back and forth on them. Yeah. So eventually you just kind of land and you're like, yeah, that's pretty good. Like uh, Neil Young famously, uh, doesn't spend more than a day mixing a song. Mm. And just like the way that it sounds that day is the way that it is. Yeah. And he lets it be. Yeah. Uh, kind of like a live performance. Yeah. You know, you do the thing, you hope yeah. that it's as good as it can, you prepare yeah. for it as best you can. Yeah. But it is what it is. It's a really ethereal yeah. kind of a thing. Ephemeral, that's the word. Yeah. It happens and then it's gone. It'll melt away. And yeah. music is like that, but recording is not. Yeah. 
it's ephemeral in that you listen to it once and then, you know, it lives in your head yeah. until you listen to it again. But when you listen to it again, it was exactly the same as it was the first time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, you know, unchanging in that way. Yeah. Which is what makes zeros are involved now. Yeah. yeah. Which makes those uh, decisions feel a little bit more permanent, mm. which I feel like I'm tangenting and I forget where we were going. It's with okay. This. That's all right. Yeah. It was yeah. about the pressure at the, at the tail end. And oh yeah. It made you feel better about the decisions you'd made. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're right. Yeah. That's where Love we were that. going. Yeah. Having that. due dates really, really helpful. Due dates and deadlines as deliverance. Yeah. Yeah. Like even like the two Christmas albums that I recorded with friends too, I had a really hard, uh, well, this needs to be ready for Christmas yeah. kind of in mind, you know, like there's no going back. Yeah. So I think one of them, I was still mixing while I was also singing in a Christmas concert at school. So it's just okay. like, well, here we are. <laughs> yeah. I've got an hour break now. I've got some headphones in my computer. I'm going to mix until yep. I run out of time. Yep. But yeah, there was a really hard deadline. Having a hard deadline is apparently very helpful for me. Yeah. That's really good. Mm-hmm. I'm glad for that. Well, it's the whole thing of work expanding to fill the time available. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you've got <laughs> oh, a yeah. decade, well, you're going to take the whole decade. Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so does this mean that we can expect your next album in 2028 or 2029? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> probably something like that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I think I have a, a singular song that I'm happy with at the moment that I'm working on. Yeah. So hopefully hopefully I'll just be more okay with putting out singles as they come yeah. instead of uh, waiting for the whole album to be finished. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, do you find that that is a pressure or an expectation in your mind? You're like, ah, I want a whole album, not just a single. Uh, yeah, it might be. It okay. might, it or might have, might have been. I don't yeah. know if it still is. Uh, you know, as with everything, always trying to revisit ideas in my brain. Yeah. Um, I think when I started recording in 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. I was trying to put together four songs. And then as I was finishing up those four, four songs, I was like, oh, but I have more songs now. Uh, yeah. So I put it off until I had more songs. Oh, done. yeah. Then eventually I put out 10 songs. Yeah. Um, but I, it, the process would have been probably way less painful if I'd just put out one song at a time <laughs> or yeah. actually held myself to like, oh, four songs is good. You know, pull a Maggie Rogers where you put mm. out a four song EP and then, you know, a year later, release them on an album as well. Yeah. And then just get rid of the EP because you can do that now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a different world. Mm-hmm. Not everything is being pressed into vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's fun once it's ready to have it pressed into vinyl. It is pretty cool uh, oh, listening yeah. back to something you've played on on vinyl. Yeah. Which, uh, I think I've only had that joy once. So like played guitar on Kyle Church's second album. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've got a, got a vinyl of that at home, which is pretty sweet. Oh, excellent. Yeah. We should grab a couple beers and throw that on your record player (laughs) one night. We'll do that. I'd love to hear that. Definitely. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Matt, I've taken a lot of your time. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Tim. This, this was my pleasure. Uh, before I let you go, I have mm-hmm. one final question. What is something that is feeding your artistic soul um, and, 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 and uh, giving, you, giving you life, whether it's a piece of content that you're digesting or a Ooh. practice that you have? Excellent question. Um, I probably should find more things that do that. Hmm. Um, I've been reading a lot of books lately. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I was trying to think of which ones I've really uh, enjoyed recently. You're a big fantasy guy, hey? I am a big fantasy guy. Yeah. So yeah, I, my brain definitely like gets some joy from from reading new things and old things again. Yeah. I have been revisiting some Terry Pratchett this week, mm. like the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But I also recently read some new things that were really great that I'd love to recommend, but I'm blanking on the name in this particular moment. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> As things um, go. If you think of things that you do want to recommend mm-hmm. to, to listeners, you can let me know afterwards and then I'll throw them in the show notes. Sounds good. Actually, it was a Guy Gabriel K book okay. that I read. I uh, had the joy of... Uh, doing sound for uh, an event that he was speaking at yeah. in the summer and then afterwards purchased a book, went home and children of earth and sky was just okay. a really enjoyable thing. And it's actually, a, it's kind of like a historical fantasy novel, um, actually kind of exploring, uh, the role of artists in some, mm-hmm. you know, fake historical events broadly yeah. centered around the Mediterranean. Very you know, cool. Yeah. It was a really interesting read. Yeah, I haven't read it, but he's something else. He's Yeah, he's pretty cool. Oh, that's neat. Well, mm-hmm. thank you for that recommendation, and thank you so much for being here today. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Same, Tim. Yeah. Um, and thank you all for listening. Uh, if you liked this conversation, share it with someone who you think might also enjoy it, and leave us a rating wherever you're listening. It helps people like you stumble on something new. You can find me on Instagram, at Timothy Lenko, and at Timothy Lenko Music. Matt, where can people find you and follow your work? Uh, so I've been performing under the name Riviere, which was mm. one of my middle names. Uh, thanks, Mom, for a cool middle name. Yeah. Um, so you can find me uh, on Instagram at Riviere Sound, and I'm pretty sure it's the same on Facebook and uh, RivieresSound.com. Uh, I think on YouTube, I'm just Matt Fraze. Excellent. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll put links to that, all of those in the show notes as well, and you should definitely go check Matt out. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks again, all of you, for joining us today. Uh, Join me again in two weeks when I'll talk with another artist about their craft. Until then, live your life like art that's never finished. Bye.